Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the only person who can bring anyone from their sin to redemption. He's the only person who can bring them from eternal death, which will eventuate in hell, to eternal life in heaven, from earth to heaven. He's the only one. He alone is the only way. And the Bible leaves no room for exceptions or alternative roads to heaven. And it's up to us to be just like the brothers and to tell it like it is, to tell the Bible like it is. When it says in Acts 4.12, Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That means there's no salvation in Buddha. There's no salvation in Allah. There's no salvation in anyone else. There's only in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we have one message from the Bible and it's 1 Corinthians 1.23, 1 Corinthians 1.23, we preach Christ crucified. That's it. We preach the person of the Lord Jesus Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks, foolishness. But it doesn't matter. That's what our message is. It's plain, it's, plain, it's simple. Christ died for our sins. That's why it's important for us when we witness to the laws to say exactly what the Bible says because God speaks through his Bible like it says in Titus 2.1, Titus 2.1, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. You know, it reminds me of a flight I took one time and I, I, I soon learned that I was sitting next to a, a JW, JW. I don't like to call them Jehovah Witnesses. Why? Because they're not witnesses of Jehovah Jesus. And, and we're told in 1 John 4.3, that first John 4, 3, John wrote, every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, but this is that spirit of antichrist. So, and, and John made it very clear that the Lord Jesus Christ is the word and the word is God. So when a person says that, the, that Jesus Christ was not God come in the flesh, which is what the JWs say, then according to 1 John 4, 3, that person is speaking for Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist, or the spirit of Satan. So if anything, they're not Jehovah Witnesses, they're more like Satan's witnesses. So on this flight, anyway, I didn't tell the lady that, but anyway, on this flight, I was sitting next to a JW on the plane, and she told me that she had just lost her brother. And then she went on to say, I'm a Jehovah Witness, and we feel that people don't go to hell. And I told her, that's the problem. The problem is you feel what you believe. 
rather than read in the Bible what to believe. And the Bible's message is clear and specific. All men have sinned. They're on their way to hell. The Lord Jesus Christ is God. He became a man. All of our sins were laid on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then he was wounded for our transgressions. The Lord Jesus Christ alone justifies and brings to heaven anyone who comes to him as a sinner trusting in his blood to save them from their sins. And the Lord Jesus Christ is now in great glory sitting at the right hand of the Father. Okay, back to Canaan. Jacob did not believe his sons when they told him, Dad, Joseph is yet alive, in verse 26. And as we saw, that message made Joseph's heart faint. Now, it really looks like, like, like Jacob might have suffered some sort of life-threatening heart attack because, because in the next verse, 27, it says that the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And that word spirit is the word ruach, the Hebrew word ruach, which can be translated breath. As a matter of fact, breath of life, we have it in Genesis six seventeen when it says, and behold, I even I do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life, ruach of life, from under heaven, and everything that is under the earth shall die. So it appears when his sons told him that, jo- that jo- Joseph was still alive, it looks like he lost the breath of life. It looks like, it, in other words, he may have suffered a life-threatening heart attack when it says in verse 26 that Jacob's heart fainted. At least for me, it would have been AFib. <laughs> okay? And, and what revived Jacob, or the defibrillator that worked for him, w- w- that bring him back from the dead, was verse 27, when he saw the wagons. When he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, and the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. So he sees the wagons, and he comes back to life. It's the wagons. Must have been quite a sight for him, all those wagons, you know? Just picture it. I mean, there's all these Egyptians. They're driving all these wagons. They're filled with provisions. I don't know how many wagons there were, but, you know, they had to carry around 50 people. So maybe each wagon, I don't know how big these wagons were, but maybe they carried five people. They had provisions in them, but maybe there were 10 wagons there. And when Jacob saw those wagons and those Egyptians driving those wagons, Jacob knew that, well, let me see now. I don't think my sons could have orchestrated this, you know, (laughs) Stories, yes. Wagons, no. And so it was the wagons that validated what the sons had said. And we can imagine how when Jacob sees his wagon, his spirit revived, and he must have turned to his, his sons and say, now, now, now tell me again, what did you mean Joseph is yet alive? He explained that more to me. Well, that's probably the time when Jacob then asked for, okay, uh, now uh, I need a full explanation for how Joseph could still be alive and this has got to be the place where they confess their sins to Jacob. And as horrible as those sins were, it was overshadowed by the joy of these wagons that, that had been sent. So really, it really wasn't as bad as the sons imagined it would be when they came clean with their father, what they had done. I mean, the, 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 the sons, you know, on the way there, they were imagining, boy, it's going to be terrible when we tell dad what we did, I mean, how are we ever going to be able to, 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 to withstand it? It's going to be horrible. But when it actually came time to confess what they did, it wasn't bad at all because of the wagons. The wagons. 
And that's the way it is for us. You know, for the sinner who imagines how horrible it's going to be to come and confess his sins to God, but it's just overshadowed by the joy of what the Lord Jesus Christ gives to him in peace and joy and happiness. I mean, have you ever really looked at the prodigal son history, the history of the prodigal son, and considered the torment that the prodigal son was went through as, before he came back home, as he anticipated how horrible it was going to be when he returned home and confessed his sins to his father. I mean, just look at the anguish that the prodigal son had as he anticipated coming home when he says in Luke fifteen eighteen, Luke fifteen eighteen, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. I mean, this is what the prodigal son was, 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 was saying to himself as he planned out on going home to meet his father that he had sinned against. I mean, the prodigal son had an essence, and he knew he did this. He divorced himself from his father and the family when he said, in essence, when he left, he told his father, I wish you were dead because if you were dead, I could take my inheritance and I could get out of this house of restrictions. And I, I, I mean, I love prostitutes and I, and I love the high life and riotous living. So, so, so let's just cut it all short. Forget all the family ties. Just, just give me the money now and let me go. That's what he did. And the father was, you know, very gracious. I mean, the father could have said, get out of here. But the father was very gracious and gave him the inheritance and let his son go out. But the father didn't divorce himself from the son, even though the son had. And the father never stopped loving the son. And the father daily looked for the return of his son. And those feelings of love and devotion were, were all the more burning in the father, even though they weren't in the son. So when the prodigal son left home, he turned his back on his father and his home, and he said, I don't ever want to come back to this place again. I hate it. I'm finished with this home. I'm finished with this family. It's been like a prison for me, and the prisoner has just been set free, and he's out to go find a thrilling life of adventure. And But it all came crashing down on him because when the money ran out, the prostitutes ran out. And when the money ran out, the friends ran out. And he, and, he, and he had to work taking care of pigs, which was a very demeaning job for a Jewish boy. I mean, to be feeding pigs. But that's the level that he had sunk to. And now it was time for him to return in repentance and go back home to his father. And, 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 and in that way, the, the sons of Jacob were just like the prodigal son. And, and just look at all this anguish that the prodigal son was going through as he planned exactly what he's going to say. Let's see now. What am I going to say to dad? What am I going to say to my father? What will I say that after, in essence, I told him that I don't want to wait for you to die to get my inheritance. I just want to get it now and, and avoid all this waiting for your will. Well, that prodigal son was rehearsing in anguish all these words he was going to say when he says, let's see, what am I going to say? First, I've got to acknowledge that my primary sin was against God in heaven because it was so wrong what I did in God's sight. So, okay, I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And the prodigal thinks, well, if that's all that I say and I've sinned against heaven, that'll be terrible. I've got to tell my Father I've sinned against him. So the prodigal then modifies it in verse 18 of Luke 15, 18. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. 
And then in further anguish, the prodigal son thinks that I'm so unworthy. I'm so unworthy. What will my punishment be? I mean, this is really, this is real mental anguish for the prodigal son. He's going through as he's saying, I'll arise and go to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. So the prodigal son is in all this torment thinking of how he's going to confess that he's so unworthy that he knows he's lost his position of being a son. And all he wants to be now is just like a hired servant. And he's thinking, what's that going to be like? What's it going to be like when I go back to having to live under the constant shame of, oh, yeah, he used to be a son, but he told his father he wished he would just die and took the inheritance early. He turned his back on the family to live it up. Now he just wants to be a hired servant. Just think of the anguish that, that this, this prodigal son is, is under as he thinks, a hired servant who's really a fallen son? How am I going to be treated by the other hired servants who, unlike me, were faithful to my father? A hired servant as a fallen son? How am I going to be treated by that brother of mine as he orders me around like a hired servant and he can be pretty cruel? And all this anguish is going through the mind of the prodigal son as he's thinking about what he's going to say when he confesses his sin to his father. And that's what it was like for the sons of Jacob when they were on the road going back to Egypt, back to Canaan, I mean from Egypt back to Canaan to see their father. They're like the prodigal son. They're in this state of mental torment trying to plan out what they're going to say. But what actually did happen when the prodigal son arrived back home. It was totally unexpected from his point of view in Luke 15:20. In Luke 15:20, it says, when he arose and came to his father, but when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran, fell on his neck, kissed him. The son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, he didn't even get out the part about make me as one of the hired servants, The father just said to the servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, put shoes on his feet, bring hither the fatted calf, kill it, let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found, and they began to be merry. I mean, the prodigal son, he he was expecting for his father to be so angry is just as, as his father would say, well, just get over there with the hired servants. I never want to have to look at you again. A little like Absalom was how Absalom was treated by his father, David, after Absalom had murdered one of David's sons, Amnon, because Amnon had raped Absalom's sister. And David shunned Absalom. But the prodigal son was expecting to be shunned. But the prodigal son was not shunned at all. To the contrary, the father runs out to meet him. He kisses him. He, he, He calls for shoes on his feet. He was evidently barefoot best robe to be put on him and, 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 and ring and kill the fatted calf and let's have a great party that happened. Then the prodigal son realized, boy, all that anguish I went through, all that anticipation of what it was going to be like when I returned, all that, 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 that torment of the of planning the confession of the father, it never happened. And in the same way, when Jacob saw the, way, the wagons and the, his spirit revived, Jacob was just so glad and happy. And all that anguish that the brothers had gone through, just like the prodigal son in anticipation of what it'd be like when they returned home and they confessed their sin to their father, it never happened. It never happened. Because of verse 27, when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, 
the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And with a revived spirit, it says in verse 28, Israel said, it's enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Now, did you notice there in that last verse how all up until this point, the Bible talks about Jacob. In verse 25, the brothers were coming to Jacob. In verse 26, it's Jacob's heart that fainted. In verse 27, it's Jacob's spirit that revived. But then all of a sudden, in verse 28, it's Israel. Israel that speaks. I mean, we see this a lot in the scriptures, this yo-yo, you know, <laughs> up and down, up and down. One day he's, one time he's Jacob, and then the yo-yo's down. The next minute he's Israel, the yo-yo's up, and it makes you dizzy. You know, all this up and down with the yo-yo. And it's Jacob, it's Israel, it's Jacob, it's Israel. It's enough to do okay. And, and here he's Jacob. Okay. Why was he Jacob before? Because Jacob, because he wasn't believing that Joseph was alive. And why is he Israel now? Well, he sees the wagons, and now he believes that Joseph is alive. So Jacob, then Israel, Jacob, then Israel. This is what God is dealing with in us. This is what God is dealing with. We believe God. We walk in the light of his word. We believe we're Israel. Then we don't believe God. We're fearful. We love the world. We don't walk in the, we walk in the darkness of the world. Then we're Jacob. So yo-yo, again, Jacob and Israel. So now he's Israel. He believes that Joseph is alive. He's believing Joseph's dreams. He's the believing man is no longer Jacob. Now he's Israel. I mean, this is the same person with two different names, two different natures, Jacob and Israel. That's like ourselves. And then, and it's frustrating. And it's frustrating not only for us, it's frustrating for God. And that's what God said to him in Genesis 32, 28. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. The only trouble is his name kept being Jacob. <laughs> now in verse 28, it says Jacob has reached what he's always hoped against hope would be. He wants to see his son. He says, I got to go down to the grave to my son. But now it's such a beautiful sight to see when it says in verse 28, and Israel said, it's enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go and see him before I die. He thought he'd have to see him after he died. At long last, his longings have been answered. He says, it's enough. And he cries out, you know, and I will go. I will go. I mean, this is an old man. He's really old. He's so old that Jacob, that when he goes and appears before Pharaoh, Pharaoh's kind of stunned. He says, exactly how old are you? But, you know, it's that, but he, he's an old man, but he's saying, I'll go. And when he says that, he, 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 it's like he could leap down to Egypt. He's a, you see, you know, he, and because the sorrow of 22 years is just all wiped away at once. And so, so when Jacob, or maybe we should call him Israel, he calls, he says, Joseph, my son. He says, Joseph, my son is yet alive. Such a, when he says that, Joseph, my son is so tender. I mean, it's such a tenderness we see in the statement toward Joseph. I mean, really, Joseph was the only child that he had that he really viewed as his son. You know, I mean, all the others, well, but it was only Joseph that really embraced Jacob's God. So this whole scene is so fantastic, and it's such a wonderful way to end the chapter 45, these wonderful words. We're so happy for Jacob. I mean, Jacob didn't expect to live long at all. I mean, you know, because, but actually he lived 17 more years after this, which was kind of amazing. 
and 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 they're and and, and that thinking about how old he is, he was how old he was. He was an old man, and there were a thousand reasons for him to say, "I'm old. That's good. Joseph is alive." but I'm just barely alive. <laughs> and so I just want to spend out the last, my last days here and, and, and uh, I don't want to leave home. Yeah? And, and the reason Jacob left, so we got to ask the question, why did he do that? Why did he, when he's such old, and he's really in bad shape, he just suffered a life-threatening heart attack, why is he going to now decide to pull up and leave? Because, and and there's, there's a couple of reasons, but one of them is because his life in Canaan was miserable. I mean, there's no food. And you know what an eagle does when she wants to get her little eaglets out of the nest? She goes and gathers thorns and stones and puts them in the nest to make life miserable for those young birds. You know, and, and you can imagine those birds are sitting there saying, hey, what's going on? This nest was such a cozy, comfortable place now it's become a miserable place. And that's what God allows to happen in Jacob to get him to go. And that's what God allows to happen in our place, in our, our situation as well. Because he wants us to get our, get a change in us to look from our comfort here on earth with the upward look, to look to desire to leave. And so he allows trouble to come into our lives to get us in this state where he wants us and he describes in Luke 21, 28, Luke 21, 28, he says, when these things begin to come to pass, look up, lift up your heads, your redemption draweth nigh. Well, if we're all comfortable down here, we're not going to be looking up. But he said in Luke 12, 34, Luke 12, 34, when your treasure is there, your heart is also. Let your loins be girded, your lights burning. You yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, and when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. He shall come in this, if he comes in the second watch, the third watch, in the middle of the night, and find them so. Blessed are those, those servants. They're looking. All right. So that was one reason why Jacob was willing to go, because life was miserable. Another reason was for Jacob wanted to go was because of who was drawing him down there. It was in, in Genesis 45, 9 and 10, 9 and 10, you know, verses 9 and 10. Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me. Verse 10, thou shalt be near unto me. So what drew Jacob to Egypt was a very special person. It was Joseph, and that's who draws us to heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not the beauty of Goshen, for Jacob, and it's not the beauty of heaven for us. It's Joseph for Jacob. It's the Lord Jesus Christ is, is, is for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, Lord, for being so lovely, fairest Lord Jesus. And, uh, and, and, and Lord, thank you too for the, the misery that you do put into our lives that, that helps us to not become too comfortable but to be ready to go at a moment's notice for the shout. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Do you have fatigue or trouble getting out of bed or just getting through the day? Are you so tired you can't focus? Do you feel like your life is drained away? Do you have fibromyalgia headaches? I have good news for you. Our doctors at Scanabody's Imaging and Therapy can give you cellular ozone therapy. Why not get your energy back now by calling us at 1-888-529-9016 or visit us at treatmyfatigue.com. 